podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello listeners and welcome back to the AI World Cup pod, I'm your host Guy Drinkle and we are back to do the first knockout round and joining me today is Alexei Yaroshevsky, how are you doing? I am doing so well, you can't even imagine. Good stuff, good stuff and you are obviously over in Russia so we will come to you that and just get a bit of a feel for what it is like over there but joining both of us is Stuart Bridson, how are you doing Stuart? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Thank you for having me on. Good, good. And he is in Manchester, but we won't ask about that. Um, <clears throat> so, Yaro, I'll start with you. Um, how how how's the tournament been in person? And I mean, you're obviously Russian. Um, how how does it differ from normal Russia? Is there a good party fever over there? Well, uh, it's easy to imagine that this differs massively from normal Russia. And by normal Russia, I don't mean anything negative. I mean. Uh, look at me. I voluntarily moved back from the United States to live here, uh, not primarily because of the World Cup, but to a large extent because of the World Cup. Um, so it is, um, I mean, an awesome country and uh, cities. And I've traveled to every single World Cup host city, seen some good and bad and mostly good. But there was some bad as well. But uh, right now, it's just it's just incredible. Um, the things that I've seen over the past three weeks that's more than enough for a book, uh, maybe even two books at this point. Right now, I'm in Kazan. That's where Argentina played France, where Argentina crashed and burned against France, uh, even though you wouldn't tell that from the scoreline 4-3. I'm in for another massive classic, mm. um, potentially a massive classic, Brazil against Belgium. Both teams are phenomenal in attacking play. Both teams are complete shit in defensive play. So we'll see how... That pans out, but I'm looking forward to uh, an absolute cracker on uh, Friday night. And overall, I'm telling you, this is much more than just footballing experience. I mean, I've been to 13 games already in the stadium. Uh, Tomorrow is my 14th game, or I I would rather say Friday night is my 14th game. But um, it's just been incredible uh, in terms of um, being more than just football. It's more than anything it's culture it's exchange it's it's opening the minds of the russians um which obviously i love my nation i love my people but you know some of them are lagging behind in many many ways Mm. and you probably heard it on bbc and any other places um but this tournament is just a way to to move things forward and this is something which gives me the biggest happiness i see people just embracing this kind of atmosphere they've never ever in their lives, many of them experienced Peruvians, Colombians, Mexicans, even Belgians and, and the French. I mean, uh, we're not talking you know, about places across the pond. We're talking about places everywhere across the world. The Japanese here in Kazan put on an amazing show. And, mm. you know, I'm walking down the streets of Kazan and I see people speaking Japanese. Locals, Russians, you know, Tatars, they, they know words in Japanese. And that's something that will live with this country for Maybe not forever, but for, for many, many years to come. And this is, I think, the biggest impact of the World Cup you could imagine. Yeah, sounds like all good stuff. I mean, if we, what 
been your highlight of the the tournament so far? I mean, maybe if you've not seen it in person, but what's been your favorite game and what's been your favorite moment? My favorite game, I think, by a considerable a considerable mile is the Argentina against France that I witnessed here in Kazan, and not maybe even more so because of the game. Uh, the game was fantastic. Uh, all the beautiful goals, uh, you know, two absolute worldies scored by the French and the Argentinians. Um, clearly, France was 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 a dominant force in that game. But the highlight of that game was the Argentinian fans. I've never encountered mm. them so close, face to face, in my life. Uh, I, I've heard tales, obviously, of them being super passionate and uh, loving loving their team, loving their nation, even though their team is absolute shit. Um, I'm not even talking about Leo Messi or uh, the, the manager or Leo Messi being the manager of that team, the actual manager or anything of the kind. I'm talking about the fans themselves. They, they have so much passion. They have so much belief and trust. It spills into the, into the stadium. And this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm still overwhelmed by. I'm now in Kazan with Brazil fans. And these guys allowed as well. And we've had amazing experiences filming today with, uh, some of the Brazilian fans and the famous Brazilian fans. But nothing, nothing in this world comes close to the Argentinians. And I'm even saying that in comparison to the English fans, which I witnessed in very small groups at the Colombia game on, in Moscow. Argentinians are absolutely next level. So I would say Argentinian fans is clearly my highlight of the tournament. No, good stuff, good stuff. And hopefully... Russia add another highlight for you to in the future, but we'll get to the uh, get to the previews and predictions in a bit. But Stu, coming at you, um, what have you thought of the World Cup so far? I mean, you're kind of a neutral because you seem to just hate England. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I I yeah. I gave up supporting England after uh, sort of early 2000s because I just I lost me love for the the national team. I won't go into that now because I could talk for about an hour about it. Um, the the best thing for me has probably been how many of the air quotes small countries have really, really stepped up. And there's a lot of countries that people thought would be absolutely rogered that have really shown that they can do it. I mean, sadly, some of them haven't got out of the groups. Mm. I, I was especially um, impressed with Iran and Morocco, who both played really, really good football. They were just crying out for literally one forward. If you could have transplanted someone like... Lozano from Mexico into Morocco, they might have been able to get out the group. And similarly with Iran, if the young lad up front, the one who's a Liverpool fan. Sardar Asmoon. That's the one, Asmoon. He seemed to get a bit of stage fright a few times when he, the few chances he did have. If they had someone a little bit more composed again, they, they could have got through. Um, and my favourite game was actually Japan-Senegal. I thought that was an absolutely cracking game because mm. from a neutral point of view, I mean, obviously, we Liverpool fans all want to see Mane do well, but it was just two really enjoyable teams, different styles of play, different approaches to the game, and both of them actually trying to win because there's been quite a few teams in the tournament that haven't been trying to win yeah. football, and that pisses me off. I just want teams to go out and play, not sit back and be boring and all Mourinho-like. Portugal. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I do like the uh, smaller teams. I think Peru's become one of my favourite nations from this tournament. Well, because their tactics seem to be we're going to score a worldie. And that was yeah, it. They, they're that mental. Was it. But I, I picked up on them from the the South American qualifiers because a load of, there was there was a time in the qualifiers where Uruguay, Brazil and Argentina weren't doing that well. Mm. And I started watching, when I could, bits of Peru. And they're mental. They're absolutely mental. 
you've got just as much chance of the left back scoring a goal as you have one of the forwards. Mm. And I respect that because, you know, it's a World <laughs> Cup. They might, not, they might not qualify for one for another 20, 30 years. Have a go. You know, try, they had try a fantastic and kit. And their kit is beautiful. Yeah. And I'm, it's well better than Nigeria's because I don't understand all the fuss. The Nigeria kit is awful. No. It's like cataracts. I agree. <laughs> oh, God, you're, hor- you're both horrendous. But we're not, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we could Why not? Problems. You told me we were just going to talk about kits for an hour. Yeah, you, but Gags would come hunt me if I did that. This is true. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to keep him happy. He's the man yeah. that signed checks. Yeah. Not my checks. I don't get checks. Yeah. So, Stu, the Nigeria kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the uh, the first knockout games then, shall we? Because we do have a few to come to go through. So, Stu, I'll stick with you. I was expecting this match to be a complete shithouse of a match. And it was. It was Uruguay v Portugal. Um yeah. Uruguay seemed to, well, to me, I mean, just to be better in pretty much most most areas, if not all areas, and Portugal seemed to be a bit more shithouse but pretty bad at it, whereas Uruguay just seemed to be good at everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, what what did you think of that game? Well, I've enjoyed, the main thing I've enjoyed about Uruguay is watching the defence. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember which of the commentators it was because there's so many, but one of them was saying about Uruguay, they don't sit back, they just defend really, mm. really well. And I've seen a lot of people have criticised Uruguay, saying they play loads of men behind the ball. They don't. They've just got the best centre-half pairing, arguably, in world football, in Jimenez and Godin. And they just do it very, very well. But it, it's been weird seeing Suarez playing the way he has been, because he just doesn't look on it. I mean, we've seen a lot of Suarez over the years and we know what he can do. So seeing him looking so out of sorts. Are you serious? Yeah. The, the first couple of games, I thought he looked rubbish. He looked No, I mean, really you're talking about the first couple of games, but look at the game against Portugal. Uh, the, the telepathy between him and, and Cavani and actually going mm. into the game against France, having no Cavani, I think that's where maybe Suarez should step up in terms of, you know, his actual capabilities of what we saw from Suarez in the red shirt. But, I mean, that game against Portugal, they, these guys seem to be completely like one human being. It's just there were two of them running on the pitch. Phenomenal. I'd, I've been more impressed with Cavani this tournament than, than Suarez, and I, I'm not that big a Cavani fan, but I think he's been absolutely outstanding. To be sure, me neither. But 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 listen, Cavani could not have scored both of his goals against Portugal if it wasn't for Suarez. He did two oh, no, assists no, on yeah, Cavani. Absolutely. Absolutely. True, but by Suarez's standards, but by Suarez has grew in, grew into the tournament. Though I think he started off yeah. a bit. A bit like pre-season, well, we never really got a pre-season because he was banned on <laughs> in the World Cup, but do you know when he started the season a bit chubby and looked a bit slow? I think he yeah. started the, se- the tournament a bit like that, but he, yeah, last last couple of games he's been, he's been uh, phenomenal. But um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Yarrow, Cavani did pick up an injury and I'm, I'm not sure if he's actually out of the next game, but... He didn't um, look good when he came off. No. He no, really is out. Good. I think he is out. I mean, the news yeah. yesterday was that he was out, so... yeah. Well, um, look look at the way he was when he came off the pitch. I mean, he was he was heavily limping, wasn't he? And he he was in tears. So nobody knows better than the player, unless yeah. it was for some reason it was just really acutely sore. But I mean, if he's not playing, that is a big loss, and it's going to be really really hard because yeah, then it then yeah. falls on Suarez. 
Yeah, absolutely. They, they do have a tough opposition um, in the quarters, but we'll get to them. But Yarrow, your thoughts on this game? I mean, did you think Uruguay just were better? I know Portugal equalised and stuff like that, but do you think Uruguay just had it under control? You know, it's funny because everyone that I spoke with here in Russia about that game, um, and by everyone I mean taxi drivers, bar barmen, uh, you know, just name it. Uh, they were saying that, oh, we're surprised that Portugal went out. And I told them all along, hey, listen, I had no surprises whatsoever about that game. I believe from the onset that Uruguay will, will get through simply because they have a team. Mm. Um, they have one very solid team in every area. And um, a good friend of mine who happens, unfortunately, to be an Arsenal fan. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I have friends. In we, we've friends all got one, my bosses. We've all got one, yeah, yeah, that, fair enough. Um, so the rumours that uh, Arsenal's uh, signing Torreira, you know, he seems to be ecstatic. He's a, he's a pundit mm. of one of the famous radios in England. Um, and he, he said that, you know, this is the kind of guy who doesn't take any bullshit. He fights, he, he tackles, he, he's just the proper, the proper footballer. And... Um, you know, this coming from a football pundit who obviously watches games and analyzes games. Um, that means a lot. I mean, I'm uh, in a way sad that Arsenal's signing a player like this. Or I don't know if they're signing him, but that, that will be clear pretty soon. It's not but that's the whole of Uruguay team. Hope. <laughs> it seems to have all gone quiet. There's still hope that they're going to fail signing him. Um, but um, at the end of the day, uh, it speaks volumes of how uh, good and how composed the Uruguayan team are. I cannot predict how they're going to line up and how they're going to play against France, especially if Cavani is out and it looks like he's out. And maybe this time Suarez will actually have to carry the team on his shoulders. Um, but then again, what they've done so far is completely phenomenal. Um, some may say that they had an easy group. Uh, yes, they did, obviously. But then... The runners-up in that group kicked out Spain. <laughs> and, um, you know, Uruguay can do the job as well against France, even though France is one of the favourites to win the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've got Gordine and Jimenez playing the way they are, well, for both club and country, I mean, they could just win win any game and any tournament just on the on the structure from around their centre-backs, really. But um, we'll, we'll move on to the next game and we'll come back to Uruguay when we're previewing the France game. Um, Yaro, you've mentioned this one a couple of times because you've been there. France v Argentina. Thoughts from inside the stadium? I mean, you've mentioned Argentina were, well, pretty shit <laughs> because they were. But um, did, did France look in control as much as they were? I mean, there was a lot of brilliant goals in this game. I wouldn't say France looked complete, in complete control. Um, they looked in control after their second went in. Mm. Um, because, um, you know, a lot has been said in the course of this tournament and yeah, before that for many, many years about mental strength, about how teams can hold it together. Um, and, and actually, sorry for sidestepping. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I noticed in the England-Colombia game about the mental mm. strength, but we'll obviously get back to that later. But it seemed to me at the France-Argentina game that after the second goal went in, and that was obviously an absolute phenomenal goal from outside the box, that um, Argentina collapsed uh, psychologically. Uh, it was still 2-2. It was still all to play for. And they obviously wanted to win that game. But Kylian Mbappe did 
you know, did what he did, did the magic in the space of five minutes to score two goals and put them completely, you know, on the floor. It was probably a knockout at that stage, not even a knockdown. But then you look at what the manager does. Um, and you look at Sampaioli does. He brings on not Iguain, not Dybala. He brings on Meza. With all due respect to Meza, uh, guy's new favorite player. Yeah, most ridiculous decisions in world football that I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, I'm sitting close to the Argentinian end in the stadium, and I can hear how frustrated, how angry they were. Um, what the fuck in Spanish? Uh, I don't remember how it sounds like, but that was basically the notion that was coming from all the Argentinians in the stadium. So you have so much firepower on your bench and you bring in the player who's not even known <laughs> in Europe to that extent. You know, uh, it's, 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 it was just preposterous. Um, so in that context, obviously, Argentina deserved to be out. But that team and that players and particularly that manager, they do not deserve the fan base that they have because these guys are absolutely next level. They left their heart in the stands, they left their heart on the streets. And 3 a.m. in the morning after the game in Central Kazan, these guys were still singing, they were still bouncing while booking their tickets back to Argentina, which is really sad to see, to be honest with you. Mm, I mean, hopefully you weren't sat too close to Maradona. <laughs> he seemed to be having a bit too much I wish, I wish I was. A <laughs> uh, bit too much fun. But Stu, um, Yarrow mentioned Mbappe there. I mean, he's obviously probably the, well, most exciting prospect in world football, isn't he? Let's be honest. But it, this is the sort of tournament and this is the sort of stage where a player can really announce themselves to world football. And I mean, he's already done that in the Champions League and stuff like that. But Stu Mbappe, now he's one of the biggest stars in football, isn't he? Well, he is. Um, I, I've i been a little bit sceptical about him because I thought he was getting a little bit overrated have, having only had one proper season for Monaco. But that game, that's definitely where he's announced himself to, to go and at that age to have equaled the sort of record that Pele was starting. You know, as Pele said himself, you know, he's in pretty good company and those goals were absolutely outstanding. They, they really were. Uh, as Yarrow said, a lot of it has got to come down to, to mental strength. As soon as it looked like things weren't going their way their heads just dropped. I mean, seeing Messi looking so downtrodden and so confused mm. is heartbreaking because he he is, for me, the best player of all time, but he cannot carry 10 other people. He he just can't do it because he's expected to create. And to be manager. <laughs> and to score and to make all the decisions and to wash the kits and to do everything. And it, it just doesn't seem right. And it's it's horrible to see because you want to see the best players doing the best things in the best tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yarrow, I'm not sure how many times you've seen Messi in person and stuff like that, whether you think he's the best player of all time, one of the best players in the world or whatever. But, I mean, did he just seem like an individual who was struggling with a poor team around him in, in person? Um, it looked like that, yeah, indeed. I've seen him in person uh, a couple of times, maybe more than a couple of times. Never shook hands with him or anything, but, um, you know, th there's a thing about Messi which surprises me, to be honest, because I've heard very many 
um, I wouldn't call them stories because they are pretty factual because they're coming from people who are in those circles with uh, Neymars and Messi's and Ronaldo's and all that, that we as human beings reading the press or working in the press, we get sometimes a very wrong perception of uh, Messi and Ronaldo. Um, we both tend to say, okay, he's better and he's not better and he's this and that and Messi is, a, is, is an angel and Ronaldo is the devil, uh, the greaseball or whatever they want to call them, right? Um, but, you know, the, the times that I've seen Messi, I wouldn't say I've had the best impression in terms of what kind of human being he is. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen Ronaldo walking out to children. Um, I don't know, maybe it was for the cameras, maybe it wasn't for the cameras. But now, nevertheless, he, he went out to the children, he, he hugged them, he took the pictures with them. There was one kid crying uh, at the Confederations Cup next to the bus. The bus stopped, Ronaldo went out, took a picture with him and got back in. No one was filming that, but that, that happened. Yeah. With Messi, I'm not sure that's the case. I'm, I don't know, I'm not sure he's that humane and he really loves that kind of publicity around him. And even if you ask Argentinians, um, you know, and I did ask them a lot. Those, I would say, under the age of 24, 25, they would say that Messi is God. He's an absolute God. He's, a, he's, a, he's an alien. He's a creature from, from, from another planet. And he was sent to Argentina to, to win the World Cup uh, or anything else for that matter, which hasn't happened yet. But then you ask somebody a little older than that, and they would absolutely, without any question, tell you it's Diego Armando Maradona. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I tend to agree with the, with the latter because I think Maradona, in the times that he played and the players he faced in those World Cups and in those leagues that he played, I mean, coming to a shit team like Napoli and making them into a, into a force, um, that, take, that takes something, right? Um, you, you, could, you could compare that even to some extent, I'm sorry to say that, to Luis Suarez who came to Liverpool when we were not on the best mm. uh, days of our, of our history and, you know, almost winning the league and all that kind of stuff. That, that's, that's the mark of the champions. And Messi, who was always surrounded by players like Xavi, Iniesta, uh, like Piquet, like Puyol in, uh, in Barcelona, he's always had the phenomenal team around him. Now, in Argentina, he has a phenomenal team around him, but that team cannot play because almost everyone at this point knows that Messi dictates who's playing and who's not in Argentina. So I think for Argentinians, when Messi leaves, and he probably is probably going to retire now, I don't think he's going to play uh, more than another Copa America uh, in, in the national team. I think that might be actually something of a revelation because they have a lot of talent, but they just need to get past that barrier of a one-man team. No, it's very interesting. I mean, Stu, you called him the best player in the world there, but, I mean, do you see Do you see the... I mean, as Liverpool fans, we'll always have our biases against Ronaldo, obviously, thinking that he's a bit of a twat and stuff like that, but do, do you see this tag with Messi where he seems to be very inverse and not very... Not a really good teammate and stuff like that. I mean, I yeah. think leadership's coming into question. Um, all Definitely. This I, as well. I think he's a shit captain. Yeah. I, d I don't think just because... He's captain because he's Lionel Messi. He's not captain because he's actually a good leader. The the stuff that Yarrow was saying before, I mean, I am I am not a Ronaldo fan at all. I think he's an absolute arsewipe. But what he does with charity and what he does for kids and stuff like that, you, you can't fault the guy. You really can't. And I... 
I don't think I've ever seen Messi do stuff like that. But on the pit, I think he just tries too hard. I don't think he can separate. Sort of, he wants to do everything. He wants to be the creator. He wants to be the scorer, and he he can't. He needs to be one or the other. But surely that's where the manager should be stepping in. But if it's well known in world football that he's the manager, then of course he's going to set himself up and build the team around himself. It, it will be interesting to see when he calls it a day. If they go with, you know, Dybala, Higuain, Aguero, how how they can set that team up and will they actually click more as a unit mm. with, without the the hindrance of having, oh, it's Lionel Messi, you know, we've got to get the ball to Messi. Because imagine the kickoff, if there was a game and Messi wasn't the recipient of every decent pass, it'd be like a global scandal. So, to be fair, I saw them try passing to Di Maria and Meza. And it doesn't work. Yeah, well, Ned, I mean, Ned looks like he's collected coupons to win a place in the squad. He's definitely won some sort of, like, cereal box. Yeah. At the top of him, and then you get a kit, get a kit and a ticket or something, and he just ends up on the, on the bench. But, uh, well, I mean, we'll have to mention the, the, the two worldy goals. I mean, Stu, I'll stick with you. What do you think was better? Was Di Maria's better, or was Pavard's better? Pavard's. Yeah. I agree. Pavard's was absolutely unbelievable yeah. he had no right scoring that and and you sort of expect it more from Di Maria with him being an attacker and quite a flair player anyway but that coming from a defender is obscene and that's what you like isn't every world cup there's a couple of goals like that or every European championships mm. there's, there's a goal that comes up that just really takes your breath away it's normally Tim Cahill as well, well <coughs> one that sticks with me was one that Torsten Fring scored I can't remember it. Was it? It might have been 2006. Oh, a bit. Be- well, not and before he scored my time, an absolute world from about in 40 yards out. <laughs> and and they're the things that you remember from tournaments. But yeah, Pavard for me every day of the week. Gents, you should have seen a couple of Frenchies sitting next to me in uh, in the stadium, absolutely losing their shit when that goal went in. Oh, look um, I'm not surprised I was. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, I mean, yeah, the, the, me, me and my dad lost our shit a little bit. We were in Curry's. I was out <laughs> shopping for a new uh, a new cooker and a fridge freezer, and we knew the game was on. So when we'd finished, we went downstairs and caught that goal on the TV. Yeah, that was that was incredible. Yeah. It's also it also took took so long for the ball to reach the net that literally you could exchange a phrase with your mates while while it was flying in. Thing is, the it, replays it was, were all in slow and I was like, that's not even that much slower. <laughs> the angle exactly. that as well, he was, it was like he was, he, he completely disjointed his knee to try and get over it like that. It's, he'll never, he'll never score anything like that in his life ever again. So he should probably never try. Just leave that one perfect World Cup goal. The only bad thing about it is that he looks like he's going to buy in next year as well, uh, which is annoying because I would have loved him at Liverpool. But uh, we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on from that game because we probably spent a bit longer than um, we should have. But it was an excellent game, and there's a couple bad ones here that we can gloss over. And this is probably one of them: Brazil v Mexico, Yarrow. Um, it wasn't the greatest, and Brazil just seemed to be a bit just in a different league to him, really. That's what I saw it as. I think we should skip that game altogether. <laughs> boring. <laughs> boring. Yeah, Neymar rolling. Nothing else happened. Oh, God. Uh, you know, the one thing I want to say about this game is, um, you know, we are all, to some extent, angry about 
uh, Bobby Firmino not getting the the central uh, role in uh, in in Brazil and not mm. being the starter. But maybe actually, if you think about it, that's Tite's master plan uh, to bring him on some stage when defenses are tired. And every time Bobby came on, he he just did something for the game, whether that would be an assist or a good run, which uh, you know. Um, uh, which made defenders busy and resulted in a goal from another play. It doesn't matter. He always comes on late and he always brings a certain degree of positivity uh, for the outcome. This time he scored, which is great. Uh, you always want a Liverpool player to uh, do well in the tournament. Um, and I would disagree with some part of our fans who are saying that Firmino is underappreciated in Brazil. I think he is appreciated, but maybe it's just in a bit of a different role. Because Tita is a very, very uh, clever manager. Mm. He knows his stuff. He obviously has his favorites because Paulinho is definitely one of his favorites. <laughs> he wants to play him whatever, whenever, and, you know, regardless of how Paulinho performs. Yes, Paulinho scored once in the tournament. Fair enough. But um, still, I would say that maybe that's, that's his master plan. And uh, I'll, I'll see on Friday night whether that's going to happen again. I don't think he, he, will, he will be as reactionary as, let's say, the Russian manager who, yeah. um, you know, one player, the star player did not perform. The other guy went in, scored a goal, and then this other guy is now the starting player. Uh, I don't think Tito will be like that. Like that, he will still start Jesus ahead of uh, uh, Firmino. But uh, again, if Bobby comes on and changes the game, then maybe it's even better. Maybe that's how we see the value of him in the national team. Yeah, I mean, Stu coming here, I mean, we won't get dragged into the Firmino versus Jesus thing because we've got biases and Jesus not having the best World Cup. And I think Brazil Brazil as a country, they, they view players differently than they do in, in Europe and stuff like that. And, and you can't really argue with Brazil because I think their record coming into the World Cup was absolutely like scary good. And I think Spain was the only one who had better and they fired the manager a day before it. So Brazil... We're probably the fourth team coming into the tournament. Um, but what were your thoughts on this game? I mean, we'll expand on Brazil in a bit, but just outclassed Mexico, didn't they, a bit? Um, arguably the experience, having having so many of their players playing in top European leagues has, has really done them a favour. But I was, as much as I've been disappointed with Brazil, I was really disappointed by, um, by Mexico as well. Mm. I, I went into this and I actually set, thought that Mexico would would take them I really thought they did and had had the likes of um, Hernandez and Lozano been a little bit more clinical maybe they could it was probably the best chance anyone was going to have to dump Brazil out um, you know stats in front of me actually Mexico had one nah, Belgium, Belgium has a better chance you think I think Belgium has a solid chance to knock them my, out. My worry is with Brazil is as each game goes on they get a little bit better and a little bit better so Belgium are going to catch them and they might be sort of 5 or 10% better, whereas in the earlier rounds I thought they were a little bit more more catchable. But Belgium, yeah, with, with Belgium's goal scoring, with um, if Lukaku's able to play, that's a huge, huge factor. Because I, I don't know how Brazil's backline, especially Miranda, is going to be able to cope with Lukaku if he's on. And De Bruyne could tear that midfield a new arsehole. He really could. If he has one of his barnstorming games where he just he decides he's just going to be, you know, the best midfielder in the world, then they will struggle to touch him. It could, I'm hoping it's going to end up being 
like Coutinho versus De Bruyne more than anything else who can who can outclass the others midfield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get to that game, but uh, yeah, Mexico one shot on target in a, in a knockout round game and just kind of just screamed Brazil being comfortable to me but as you said Yarrow we should have probably just skipped that game because it was terrible but um, one of the more interesting ones was uh, Belgium v Japan Stu coming to you I mean Japan threw that game away yeah Japan was has been one of my favorite teams in the whole tournament they've been great fun to watch although they've not used Honda anywhere near as much as I wish they would because I absolutely love a bit of Honda but they they've been quietly efficient the they do what they need to do when they need to do it they score they can defend they're quite creative in the middle but yeah they just didn't didn't give themselves a fighting chance they they seem to have gone a little bit like old liverpool from a few years ago got themselves comfortably in the lead and then just turned off and maybe that's experience maybe they need more players playing in top european leagues maybe they need better representation in the Champions League to to give them that that little edge that maybe the Belgians have the Belgians have because they've got a lot of very recognizable names haven't they whereas if you take Honda and oh what uh, Okazaki out of it and watch mm. space used to play for United whose names completely gone out of my head no, yeah maybe they just need a few more plays that are able to just close out a game but I, I really wanted Japan through. As much as I've been impressed with the way Belgium have at times have played, I just wanted Japan to go through as one of those wild cards. Mm. But, I mean, Yarrow, coming to you, Belgium, I know you said probably one of the teams that could knock out Brazil and stuff like that, but they've not... They've not I know they had two decent results against Panama and uh, Tunisia, but they've not really clicked in this tournament for me. I mean, they've probably had a really good half against uh, Tunisia and Panama, but they've looked a bit disjointed for me, and I think that may be more down to uh, who the manager is, who's ex-Everton, um, with his dodgy formation and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but what, what are your thoughts on Belgium? And every, I think every tournament they're going to come in is that with that tag. They've got a talented group, but they're probably not going to win it. I mean... Does anything you've seen in this tournament change that tag? Listen, that's the thing. That's the the problem of labels. Every single tournament, somebody just walks out and says, hey, this is the golden generation of Belgium. Uh, mm. These are the guys who can be that Belgium team which resuscitates their football and, and brings them to glory. And every time they fail miserably. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, what, uh, Wales. Sometimes it's other countries, you know, they, they stutter against. It, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the, the, I think the bottom line here is that I think this golden age has finally come of age, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. You have yeah. the likes of De Bruyne, you have the likes of Hazard, you have... You look at every line in the Belgium team, and every line is, is world-class. Either one player world-class or several players world-class in that line. So you have a world-class goalkeeper, you have a borderline world-class defense, um, I wouldn't say all of them, but at least one of them is definitely a borderline world-class. Mm. You have uh, fantastic, phenomenal world-class and borderline world-class players in midfield and the attack as well. Um, I was lucky enough to be in the Belgium-Tunisia game, uh, not expecting seven goals, thinking this would be maybe three or four, but that was seven. And I have to say, 
yeah, credit to Tunisians. They were fighting, they were trying, and they obviously had a lot more to lose than the Belgians. But the Belgians were very, very calm about it. They literally just, you know, played football and destroyed them. And if you look at the game against Japan, um, obviously it's good for business, good for football in general, that Japan was 2-0 up. And it's even better for business and better for football that they went 3-2 down. Uh, because it's, it was pure drama. It was, you know, everything that, that you love about football. Uh, a, a brilliant comeback. But if you look at the time before Japan scored the two goals, Belgium were knocking into Japan's mm. goal, you know, every single, almost every single minute. It was something like 14 shots on goal. Uh, and nine and or seven or nine of them on target in the first half alone before the two goals went in. So it wasn't even about the class. It's about, you know, the execution. Maybe they were unlucky, but I still think they have, they had a much, much superior team than Japan had. And as much as we all want to be happy for Asian and African football, African not so much, unfortunately, in this tournament, but credit to the, the Japanese team, they made it so far. Um, you know, the, 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 the golfing class was clearly visible there. And, uh, if you ask me about the upcoming game against Brazil, I think Belgians are the only ones who can knock Brazil out of this tournament because if they go on to the semis and potentially against France, unless Uruguay produces a major upset, another one of the major upsets in this tournament, um, I think, uh, Brazil will, will dispatch France very easily if they get past, past Belgium. No, that's quite interesting. I, I, it's, a, it's a weird one. I, I just kind of view Belgium as a bit of a bit of a misfitish team. Maybe not quite like Argentina, but there seems to be something that isn't clicking there. And um, I think you are right in terms of having world class in most positions. I think they're like a left back away from having pretty much quality in every position. I mean, they're playing Carrasco, young talent, but he is a winger playing at left wing back, which is just all kinds of wrong. Um, well, most most countries in the tournament would kill, wouldn't they, for Alderweireld and Vertonghen? And company. And, well, maybe not so much with his cornflake bones, but... <laughs> <laughs> Still getting pretty much every team if you could play more than one game a year. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I did... They do have a world-class team, and if it clicks, they could probably steamroll every, any team in the tournament, so it is interesting. And, and they should do, and they should have mm. done before. They they should have done a lot better over the years than they have done. Yeah. But if you look at the team, you can pretty much name out... You, you recognise every single player, don't you, in the first mm. 11, and there's not a lot of teams in the tournament that are like that. So it, it would be interesting to see them do it, because it's the one thing that obviously England have never done. England have had a golden generation that did absolutely bugger all. It would be interesting to see somebody else actually do it. Yeah, I mean, it would be it'd be kind of cool for a new team to win the World Cup as well, or, or just one that hasn't won it in ages. Wink, wink, Uruguay. Um, but we'll <laughs> we'll move on from uh, from that game and we'll go on to your big day, Yarrow. Um, Spain v Russia. Yahoo! Um, I mean, Spain were so bad, but Russia were just performing so I'm gonna say heroically but they were brilliant Russia were brilliant and Spain deserved to lose yeah yeah you're you you just hit the nail on the head there the best thing about um the Russian performance is not even about you know the millions of people in the streets going absolutely bonkers after that result um not not even the result itself but you know the the conclusion that Russia 
is mm. in and Spain is out. Uh, because from a footballing perspective, this game was absolutely, absolutely tough to watch. I sat in the stadium and uh, my heart was all on the floor because I felt like, you know, at any moment Spain would score. And, you know, the stadium was loud, but to my mind was not loud enough. If it was Liverpool in their place, you know, it would have been much louder. So I had all these different thoughts running to my head, uh, but it ended the way it did. And. I didn't even realize until maybe three hours after the game that the last penalty was not a miss, but a phenomenal save. Because from where I was sitting, yeah. it was hard to see that it was actually uh, an absolutely incredible save. Oh, the one he touched, gave... the one, the one he got with his foot. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, oh my in, god. insane I, I, save. I watched this forever. I mean, whoever, whoever thought that this guy has something like that in his coffers? I mean, uh, he was a decent keeper. Uh, a really good keeper at some point, and uh, some big teams were interested in his services. But you know, well, United like wanted him for a long there. time, didn't they? Ferguson was a big fan of his. I looked that yeah. up, and that was ten years ago. Yeah, Schmeichel told he was a hero that. on FIFA back in the day. Oh yeah, I think you couldn't be. I can say he was up there with like Thompson, Zola, Makoko, Chris Sampa. Peter Schmeichel told me all about uh, Ferguson's love for I can say back in the day. So yeah. I know it from the from the, from first had experience. But in any case. Um, you know, Russians actually are printing T-shirts right now with Akinfeyev's uh, symbol on it, the, the safe, um, which looks a little bit like Air Jordan, but, you know, obviously flips. <laughs> Nevertheless, cool. I think this game, to, my, to me, the biggest pleasure of that game was to see that after all these years of pain, after all these years of hurt about Russia not being able to defend shit, uh, not only they defended, they did a proper Mourinho bus on Spain, of all teams in the world, with their tiki fucking taka, with their Sergio Ramoses and Iniesta's and, and all other guys, uh, they did a proper bus job on them. And not only it worked, it worked brilliantly. Some of the players who never in their lives defended like that, they did. They executed the plan perfectly. And it wasn't even about the manager telling them, guys, we're playing a bus because that's the only way we can prevail against Spain. Yeah. They executed it excellently. They they knew what they were doing. Uh, some people were complaining about the penalty, whether it was a non-penalty. You know, it's it's I, to me it was a clear penalty, and I was sitting in the stands, and I saw that hand. And you can argue as long as you want that, you know, a headed ball into a hand, and the hand was already outstretched. Bullshit. It changed the direction of the ball. It was a clear penalty, and it went in. Uh, getting a penalty is half the job. Scoring a penalty is a full job, right? And you have. Obviously, an 80,000 stadium behind you, but that's also a pressure as well. Some say it's a support, but it's also a pressure. So Duba yeah. converted that. And, uh, you know, the scenes after that game, that is something that will live forever. I mean, I'm not that sentimental. I'm not that much of a Russian national team fan. I always have faith in it. But, you know, saying that I'm watching every game and I'm, uh, you know, chanting my heart out of my lungs uh, every time Russia plays. I wouldn't say that. But even I was walking from the stadium and I and I was, you know, it was hard to hold back tears. Uh, I know a lot of people cried with joy after England finally won the penalty shootout after all these years. So maybe that's something of an analogy that I felt. Uh, but in obviously in England's case, um, you know, England has done better than Russia in the World Cups and international tournaments over the years. But that felt so great. And this is something that will live forever with every Russian. Even if we die against Croatia 7-0 uh, or 9-0, whatever, it's still, we're already there. We did that. 
and the streets were in a fucking frenzy, in the best way of word. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Absolutely. Go on then, Yarrow. Who, who's been your Russian player of the tournament then? Well, I think it's Zuba, um, primarily because everybody said that, you know, he's old and he cannot play and he doesn't fit into that system. So the guy comes on as a substitute in the first game, scores the quickest World Cup goal for a substitute in something like 30 or 40 years. Uh, I believe it was 88 seconds after he came on, he scored a header against Saudi Arabia. Um, credit to the manager, he said, okay, so Smolov is a stop player. But Smolov is underperforming, and he's still underperforming. He was shit against Spain again. <laughs> he was. Oh, my God. He really God. was. <laughs> really, it was horrible to watch. But then again, Zuba, he came on. Then he started the game against Egypt, scored a goal again. Uh, okay, Uruguay game was, was irrelevant. Uh, but then he comes on again for the Spain game, and he scores that winning penalty. So, to me, he has been uh, the absolute player for, for Russia. But Golovin and uh, mm. I can say... Just for, you know, a one respective game. In Golovin's case, that would be the first game. In, in uh, Akinfeyev's case, that would be the, 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 the one last 16 game. Uh, they've both done very, very well. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a joy to watch when, when the nation, which, which was dead, genuinely disenchanted with football, with the national team, now actually starts believing that we have a team that can play. Yeah, that go the Golovin, or however you pronounce his name. He oh, looks like, yeah, he looks a uh, McLovin. Um, looks like a proper <laughs> a proper talent. I mean, I think he's only twenty two, and he's been. I think he's twenty three. Twenty three, and I think he's been linked with Juventus and Chelsea. So it'll be quite interesting to see and, where and he's United. Has he United as well? Uh, so hopefully he's not too good then. Mourinho, <laughs> Mourinho yeah, is singing sure his praises. Pretty sure he's going to Italy because every Russian player understands that going to England. Mm. At the age of 23, is the death of career. Yeah. Um, because it's not the kind of league, with all my due respect and love for the English Premier League, and I obviously love English Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the place to go for a Russian player at the age of 23. Italy, oh, young, is young players, the perfect player. Die, I don't know. That's pretty well, look, no. y- y- young players in general, just look at Salah. Yeah. 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 Good points. Good points. But Stu, I mean, just quickly on on the Spain Russia game. I mean, the rest of them will will kind of go over quickly because they weren't that great, but um. Spain were awful in this tournament, weren't they? Spain have been absolute garbage. Um, I I don't know what's wrong. It, it there must be some kind of deep seated problem because to put that many very good slash world class players together and have them play that badly and without direction and just with seemingly no idea of what they're doing, you know, a team that in recent memory won the Euros and the World Cup back to back. It just seems baffling, but you know that they didn't deserve to go through by any metric whatsoever. If they'd gone through, it would have been really, really unfair. So it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is and and see how they improve now. How do they pick themselves back up? Because they're one of several teams that really, really need to pick themselves up and and completely rebuild, arguably. Is it going to be Iero mm. doing that, or are they going to get somebody with a little bit more experience? There was, uh, I think it was Massa that were linked with Roberto Martinez. Earlier. Oh, fuck <laughs> It's uh, not even possible, but Martinez would get them relegated from FIFA. <laughs> awful to see. I mean, Iero was a phenomenal player, but 
he doesn't look like he had any footprint on that team. It looked like it was just a team with no you real see, direction. You see that cost? Do you see that cost effect about Corker? Yeah, saying he's going to he's going to miss. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, there you go. If he's a manager with any kind of now, he doesn't pick Costa for the next couple of squads, and he puts his foot down and says, "Bollocks to you! This is mm-hmm. my team. If I pick someone to take a penalty, I've picked him." Yeah. But I don't know whether he's got the the nows to do that because who else are they going to start up front? It's not going to yeah. be. Yeah. Asked, can I just add a little? Can I just add a little yeah. banter into this conversation about Spain? Um, so not obviously, um, you know, I was standing in the mix zone looking at uh, the. Very sad eyes of Sergio Ramos and thinking Aww. to myself, karma Bless is you. a bitch, Sergio. You know, karma is a bitch. You know, you deserve all that uh, after all what you did in this Champions League final. Um, what he's done but, over his entire career, he's just a professional shit house. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, karma is still a bitch. But uh, look at that. Um, Spain go out to Russia. Portugal go out to Spain. Um, uh, go go out to Uruguay, sorry. Um, both of these teams didn't really deserve to win against who? Iran, Stu. Iran. Yeah. The Iran that we so much appreciated. I mean, I've been cheering and rooting for Iran, not only because uh, Sardar Azmoun is my close friend, but also because, I mean, Iran were playing so, so good football. And they, they absolutely deserve to get something out of the Spain game, and they absolutely deserve to win against Portugal. So both the teams that upset Iran went through and both crashed out. I am happy. Very. It, it would be interesting again to see what what do Iran do because they they've shown that they can they can hold their own against teams that you would expect would absolutely steamroll them. If if they can get themselves playing, the next World Cup would be very very interesting, and I, I'll be interested to see how they do. Okay, they, I will, they, I'll work for the next four years to convince Sardar Azmoun to uh, cancel his retirement from the national team. Really? He's, think, yeah. he's thinking. Re- isn't no, he, he like only re- twenty? He he's only twenty. Or isn't he? he? Has retired. Yeah. Wow. Personal he was getting, fra- he was getting friends or something, wasn't he? Yeah. I don't want to speculate, but anyway. Oh. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll gloss over the next couple of games because they were uh, awful. Um, Croatia v Denmark and Sweden versus Switzerland. Uh, Croatia went through on penalties. And Sweden, um, I was probably asleep when it happened, but uh, won 1-0, and it was the most awful game ever. But um, No, not the most. The most was Denmark-France. Oh, on. yeah, that, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, but there was another game on at the same time as that, so that was all right. <laughs> um, Wait, Sweden haven't been that bad. They're just crying out for a forward. But, yeah, but the, I mean, the rest of the it, it was quite boring. They've been very well organised. They've defended very well at times. And everyone loves a centre-half who scores penalties. That's very true. And, and Granquist has scored two absolute belting penalties. So he, he's obviously going home and getting a statue made for him. <laughs> That's very true. true. Very true. But what, what do you think about the two winners? I mean, Croatia um, win on penalties, but they didn't look too impressive in, in their game. I mean, they've been labelled the dark horse of every tournament they've ever been in but um, we saw, we keep seeing this, the impress in the group stage and then knockout stages come along and kind of fall flat on the face I mean they were quite, they were quite fortunate against Denmark they weren't exactly opened, uh, destroying Denmark at will No uh, Croatia's my, my pick You know, if I had my way for them to win I think it would be brilliant for them to win it but they they should have absolutely destroyed Denmark because Denmark have been terrible. 
for me. They just get the ball to Ericsson and just see what he can do with it. Croatia have got so much more about them and they've got such a classy midfield led by Modric and Rakitic. The only weakness I would say for them is could they benefit from a slightly more mobile forward than Mandzukic? Is there anybody else out there that's a li- that would be able to better receive through balls from such a talented midfield? And it's probably the last chance that Modric is going to get at a World Cup. I can't see him being around in four years. Or if he is, I can't see he's going to be in the sort of form and shape that he's in now. But when they've been on in the group stages, they've been very, very good, haven't they? They've, they've dismantled teams. And it, it's going to be an interesting game, Croatia-Russia. Very interesting game. Yeah. You mean, yeah, you mean by, by, how many, by how many goals Croatia will uh, smash Russia? Seven or six? <laughs> Nine or ten? I, 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 I didn't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter now. doesn't matter. You've it's fine. But we'll come to that. We'll come to that. But, um, Yarrow, I mean, just your your thoughts on the two winners. I mean, I don't really care about Switzerland other than that we might be signing Shaqiri, but that's for another pod. And still yeah. probably sigh in disappointment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on the two winners and Yarrow? Well, uh, the Sweden-Switzerland game was uh, eye-bleeding, to be honest. It's the second worst game of the, the whole <laughs> tournament. As we've noticed, uh, but but yeah, I mean uh, Sweden are through. I'm happy for them. Uh, they absolutely deserved it uh, after what they did in the group. Um, and you know we spoke about Mexico already having the fourth game curse for yeah. as long as we can remember. But they have themselves to blame because they should have played well against Sweden of all teams and you know not lose that game by such a long margin and not being second in the group but first and then they would have played. Switzerland and probably would have been uh, further than they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sweden, uh, everyone says now, especially in England, particularly in England, that, okay, now we play Sweden and we're already in the semifinals. Well, don't count for that this much because I know Germans were shit in this tournament. And, uh, you know, that basically uh, was depicted in the game against South Korea where, where they lost 2-0. But they still... The Swedes, I mean, played very well against Germany. And, you know, since they're now in the quarterfinals, they, I think, can play very well against England. So they won't be pushovers. Obviously, we'll see on Saturday, but I think they are a, a very interesting team. But for the other pair, you know, Croatia has been my team from game one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying that um, Iran and Croatia are the two teams which will go far in this tournament and impress many. Um, because you look at Croatia, you look at their players, individual talent, and the way the team is built, um, very evident in the game against Nigeria, because people were starting to be impressed about Croatia after they hammered Argentina 3-0 in the second half. But I think the Nigerian game, uh, which they won 2-0, was even more accurate in terms of how tactically astute uh, Croatians are. Uh, And if we just drop the individual talent, if we just abstain from the idea that Modric can score a goal outside the box and, you know, uh, even Willy Cavallero cannot, cannot save something like that. It's just, it's just a team which has everything, the talent and, and the tactical prowess. Uh, so Russia, I don't think it stands any chance against Croatia. It was clear and evident how Russia would play against Spain because Spain were boring, predictable, and um, you would understand how you play against that. But against Croatia, you don't really know how to play. And this game against Denmark, I think it fooled many into thinking that Croatia has a weakness. It really doesn't. It's just because 
Denmark were first very lucky. Um, second, it was very reminiscent of a situation when Liverpool hammered uh, Manchester City in the league, the first team to mm. do so, and then lost to Swansea the next week. It was pretty much the same situation with Croatia. So they win all three games in the groups, including Argentina, and then they play against Denmark, and it's a 1-1 going to penalties, and uh, Modric doesn't score a penalty uh, in, in, uh, in the extra time, which was, you know, largely down to Kasper Schmeichel, which I want to specifically focus on because I think this guy was an absolute phenomenon in this World Cup. Um, you know, the, the, the things that he saved over the, over the World Cup, I know one game we can just discount it completely uh, when they played against France uh, because it seemed like a friendly um, but in the two previous games, all his saves, and, and in that game against Croatia, and two penalties saved. Um, okay, I worked with his dad for the last six months, and, you know, signing Kasper Schmeichel for Liverpool would be my biggest victory of all, because I could call Peter Schmeichel every single day and tell him, look, your son is playing for Liverpool. <laughs> and I think <laughs> on top of that, Kasper was, was a phenomenal uh, in, in goalkeeping sense. So I guess that's all I can say about those games. No, very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, Croatia still, still well, probably the best midfield in the tournament still. Uh, but if they if they click, well, it's not about clicking. If they just perform again, I mean, <laughs> they just had an off game. I think this was one of them games against Denmark. So if if they switch it back on, they'll go back to being one of the best teams in the tournament again. Um, but last knockout game before we go into quarterfinal predictions, Colombia v England, Stu. Um, it was an awful game. It <laughs> was, game. but it was typically horrific. Yeah. The, the thing that frustrates me the most is seeing how good Colombia were in the last 15 minutes and mm. knowing that if they'd played like that the rest of the game, they could, not necessarily would, but they could have won very, very comfortably. And I just don't understand why they thought it was a, a really good idea to just try and shit out the way through when it, it's an England, it's a poor England team. It, it really is. And I make no secrets of the fact that I was, I was cheering Colombia along. I wanted them to win. It's going to be interesting to see how England develop if they go any further in the tournament because they've not really had any real tests. Some of the other teams have had slightly harder games and have had to maybe pull the socks up a little bit. This should have been England's hardest game, and it wasn't. But I, I was disappointed, very disappointed. This was probably my least favourite game of the tie, of like you know the first mm. knockout phase. Yeah, over, well, other than Sweden, Switzerland, I'd probably kind of agree because uh, I mean at least uh, the Sweden game had some brilliant beards because yeah. there's some cracking beards in the Swedish team. That's a very good point. England's got point. shit facial hair. <laughs> but uh, I mean. Yarrow coming to mean you've you've spoke of your love of the Colombian fan base and stuff like that. But um, it's taking a part of the fan base. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Probably shouldn't um, say anymore. <laughs> um but yeah, Colombia, I mean, obviously they didn't have Hammers who I think he came into the tournament unfit or whatever and then he's only played one game and then came off straight away in the last one. But I mean Colombia just didn't look like anything like they were they were at the previous World Cup in Brazil, did they? They just didn't look like a South American team. They just looked really boring and functional and pretty much dependent on Yerry Mina doing something from a corner. It just, it just didn't seem to be their day. I wouldn't say that. I, I, I 
firmly agree with you that the absence of uh, James Rodriguez uh, was pivotal for the mm. Colombian team and uh, for England, for that matter, as well, because there was very little creativity oh, yeah. coming from the midfield when it comes to Colombia, how they play. Also, you know, the whole thuggishness and uh, the whole banter about this online, especially, and even in the mix zone after the game, that Colombian players were too rough, too thuggy. I don't think it's a fair reflection. I think they were just um, they were just being Colombian. I think that's the way Latin American teams usually play, especially when it comes to, uh, let's say, more Central American or Latin American teams. You know, when you play Honduras, uh, these guys are ready to kill right on the pitch. Maybe it's the way they, you know, they their upbringing is in in those countries. But they really are very physical and they really are uh, pushing the boundaries of what can be seen as acceptable or not on the pitch in terms of how players, you know, battle it out over the ball. But um, I have a different point to make, and you know you can yeah. actually you can actually put it straight into the Anfield rant um, section uh, because I am very 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 frustrated with English fans uh, in this tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I mean I don't want to sound political or anything. I don't know. Why no, people, no, feel free. I mean I can, but I don't want to. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people were scared of going into Russia for this World Cup. Uh, but, you know, I've seen England fans in Kiev, I've seen England fans in Germany, I've seen England fans in other places. And this is the weakest performance from the fan base that I've seen. And yet you have every single member of the English press, including the likes of Gary Lineker, Ian Wright, you name it, um, you know, saying that, OK, this is probably the best chance that England has ever had for a World Cup final and maybe even winning the trophy. And you have... Five to six thousand English English fans in Moscow. Eleven direct flights from London to Moscow every day. I mean, seriously, you don't need a visa. You don't need anything. Just get a fan ID and fly over. I mean, right now England is playing Sweden in Samara. I know the cheapest flights are probably around eleven hundred pounds to get to Samara at this stage. Um, but honestly, I mean, you look at the news coming from the first couple of days. Do English fans really believe that they will be coming over to Moscow and they will be poisoned and hacked or anything? Their team is doing so well. They're now through to the through to the to the quarterfinals. Guys, come on, show up. Get on the plane, train, whatever fucking uh, you know, a pack of dogs and get it, get yourself here and support your team. When I walk into the stadium and I'm a let's say a latent three lion fan because I've lived in England, I love England and you know. Uh, it was a tough choice between England and Colombia because of all the passion that Colombia uh, exhibits in, in the games and especially off the pitch when they're fans and they're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ladies. I would mention that specifically. <laughs> uh, a heartbreak to actually see them go. But anyway, um, when you see, you know, a proportion of one to six in terms of the Colombian dominance in the stands and around the stands, it really is heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking for a nation like England, which has a really solid belief that it could win the World Cup. You can, you know, open the Twitter after the game. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home from everywhere. And there's only like a small bunch of English fans in the stands that really, really massively frustrated me. Uh, but overall, if you talk about the game, yes, it was a very close one. Um, we mentioned earlier the mental strength. I think um, there were parts of the game where Colombians were very, very much more mentally strong than um, than mm. the English. Um, I think 
particularly uh, second half of the second half, uh, third quarter of the game, and the first half and extra time, Colombians were absolutely dominant. Uh, I think they could have scored two or three more. Um, I mean, good thing for England that didn't happen. Good thing England finally won the penalty shootout. It might be that kind of psychological barrier that the three lines needed to break uh, in order to to push forward in the in the later stages. Uh, but then again, guys, you're playing against England right now. I'm not talking to you, Guy and, and Stu. I'm talking about yeah. the, the English fans. You talk, you're playing against Sweden right now. Do not underestimate them. And secondly, most importantly, please do show up for the sake of your team. Forget everything political and all that bullshit and, and nonsense. This is the World Cup. The World Cup, which hasn't had any single security incident. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this as a kind of propaganda or anything. I've lived it and I'm seeing it all with my own eyes and I'm seeing people who have no problems whatsoever. Uh, support your team. Come over here. The, 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 you know, the, the, the people singing it's coming home after the game, even though there were a few of them, but they were, they were magical. And I wish there could be more of you in Samara and maybe then potentially in St. Petersburg and Moscow. No, I mean, certainly. I mean, I think England are one of the famed well-traveling supports, but... The, the, I remember, I think it was ITV who mentioned it. They were saying Colombia outnumbered them like five to one or something like that, or probably even more than that. So it, it is certainly interesting. I, mean, I don't want to get in too political, but yeah, but England uh, media doesn't paint Russia with the prettiest picture, shall we say? But uh, we won't, we won't get into that. I mean, Stu uh, Henderson obviously played in this game. Um, Obviously, Liverpool Twitter's on them out. you got to be one side of the argument and stuff like that, but I think it's fair to say Henderson didn't have his best game. I mean, he's probably England, one of England's best players in the tournament so far, which isn't saying too much, but uh, it wasn't his night, but he got through, and unfortunately his missed penalty didn't come of anything, but what, what have you thought of Henderson so far in the tournament and in this game? He's been all right. He's... He's he's been for England what he is for Liverpool. He's he's a six six or seven out of ten player. He's never gonna. He doesn't look like he's got any more worldies in his locker. He just looks so hesitant to shoot. But when he's on, he he can move the ball around very well. He can be very effective. But as as is always the case, a lot of the criticism he's getting is simply the fact that he plays for Liverpool and people can't stand that you're never going to get you know a majority of United and City and Spurs and Arsenal and Chelsea fans praising a Liverpool player because people still see club allegiances to, to be fair when Eric Dyer came on there was a bit of a shift in that oh but <laughs> Dyer has been awful but Henderson has been one of England's better players he's had a better mm. World Cup than Sterling and Sterling's one of the players who really should be carrying England because he's so talented you know, Kane, Kane has scored, what, fucking six goals? He's had a shit World Cup because he's not actually done a lot. He's really, really not. Yeah. But it, it's good to see Henderson having good games. You know, I don't hate the guy. I just don't think he's good enough to play for Liverpool. I shook hands with him in the mix zone. I think he was a really good chap. He swerved me just like Trent. And uh, <laughs> I specifically told them, hey, Trent. Can you just ask a, answer a question, one question for a Liverpool fan? And he just like, okay, Jesse will answer that. So believe it or not, Trent Alexander-Arnold directed me to Jesse fucking Lingard instead of answering my simple question about what felt bigger, the Champions League uh, last 16 progression or the World Cup progression. But anyway, uh, Hendo didn't completely swerve me. He at least shook my hand and said, okay, uh, you're a Liverpool fan. So I was like, good luck for the season, Hendo. You know, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. 
he seems he, it. he always yeah he always, he always, he always seems like a decent guy you know like when when he, he signed for us and then he went back and watched Sunderland at Wembley you know he, he knows where he's from he knows what he is he doesn't seem like he's up his own arse or anything like that he is what he is isn't he yeah he is. yeah absolutely I think we'll leave the game there because I am aware I think we're about an hour ten here and I don't want Nina coming to hunt me down um, but we'll go into quick predictions um, for the quarterfinals so Yarrow and then Stu just answer in order um, Uruguay France uh, I would hope Uruguay um, with a very very slender probably 2-1 win but it's almost mm-hmm. unrealistic uh, because of the attacking force that France has so do you want me to do you want me to tell you the score or or just the winner? Um, just winner. Okay, I would say France. Let's be realistic. Yeah, Stu. Um, I'm gonna say Uruguay unless Deschamps falls over and smacks his head and finally realizes that Matuidi's not a left winger and that He's playing. Suspended. Put... Oh well, there you go. Oh, in that case, France. <laughs> There's rumors that Fecky is gonna play. I'll go. If Cavani wasn't injured, I'd pick Uruguay, but he is. Same. I'm going to go France. Snap. I'll go France. If Cavani, Cavani was playing, I would have said hands down a Uruguay win. Same, that, same, that, same, that, same. That, that front same. two will just kill them. Yeah. Um, Garou, Brazil v Belgium? Belgium. As much as I love Brazil, I think Belgium can do that kind of upset. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I kind of Stu? believe in them. Uh, Belgium. Uh, oh, damn. Brazil just... I don't think Brazil have clicked enough to stop Lukaku and De Bruyne and Mertens. Interesting. I'm going to go Brazil. Um, just mainly to be different, but I think Brazil will just have a bit too much. But uh, here we go, Yarrow. Russia, Croatia? Croatia. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> no, Stu- one of the big reasons why oh. I want Russia to lose against Croatia uh, uh, is because, you know, the semi-final between England and Russia must not happen. <laughs> Period. <laughs> oh God, that that's the sort of stuff that could actually like impact security stuff because England fans would do something stupid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen. But Stu, um, of Croatia, Croatia comfortably. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go Croatia as well. Um, I think they will just re-click into stuff, and I think Russia. May have had their moment uh, against Spain, and I think you put it well earlier, Yarrow. Um, Croatia have a couple more weapons in their arsenal compared to Spain, um, so I'll go with Croatia as well. Um, last quarterfinal then, Yarrow, Sweden v England. Um, England, relatively comfortably, relatively. It's not going to be yeah. easy. It might be another penalty shootout. It might be even going further than just five penalties, or you know, going to seven or eight penalties. Um, and, you know, with everyone saying that England is a strong favourite against Sweden, I think that's bullshit. Uh, Sweden will play a very compact, very composed game, and it's going to be a tough one. Probably a tough one to watch as well. Um, but I, I still think that England will prevail in the end. Stu? Ugh, it makes me feel so disgusting. I'm just about to go and get the bleach, but I actually think England will win. I think it'll be it'll be a if Sweden had a good if if Ibrahimovic was still playing I'd say Sweden but I don't think Sweden are going to set up well enough to get past the back three and I just think Kane will score another fluky goal it'll either be another penalty or someone will have a shot and it'll deflect off his massive head and go in. 
That's the only way he's scoring. He's not scoring an actual shot. No. No. Um, but I'll go England as well because Gross. I know Sweden are uh, <clears throat> are, uh, are our bogey team and all that, but I think England. I don't know, when Harry Kane's scoring goals off his arse and stuff like that, we've seen it at Spurs, it just doesn't seem to stop. So if that's transferred across international, um, to international level, I mean, God God help us. <laughs> um, but yeah, so England for me, England for me as well. But um, that's been the pod, I'll, I'll come to plugs. Um, Yarrow, I know you've been busy, so I mean, anything to plug? Well, basically, the stuff that I'm doing every day from the World Cup on, yeah. on RT, that's the big plug right now. Nothing else but that, because that takes all my time and strength and efforts. But uh, Twitter, Yarrow LFC, obviously, that's where I put my all my stuff out. And Instagram, Yarrow underscore RT. Uh, all the stories and jolly fans and singing and the atmosphere of the World Cup. Unbelievable that it's only 10 days left and we all survived up until this point. But... Um, <laughs> Absolutely loving it, guys. And uh, if anyone still has a chance to come over, please do. Good stuff, good stuff. Stu, uh, any plugs from the comic side? Um, well, before I do the comic side, I urge everyone to go and listen to the latest movie night um, that my oh, co-host yes. and I'm not going to say friend, I'll say comrade, um, has done at uh, Rory Greenfield. We did... Um, 80s movies a few days ago which is out which was really good um from the comic side we haven't done anything since the uh the infinity war preview but that's still out there in case for some reason anyone hasn't listened to it uh that's it for us at the minute we're being nice and quiet good you did spider-man didn't you um sorry it's, yeah yeah we did god yeah we did the evolution of spider-man <laughs> so you know better than me yeah, I'm Deadpool. Are you See? drunk? <laughs> I, I, ju- I just phone it in. Yeah, yeah Evolution of Spider-Man was our last yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I'm also mentioned slightly in that uh, movie pod as one of my list was put up. Um, and Stu liked it, which is enough for me. Yeah. Um, but what yeah, was it? Thank- uh, Predator. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll pr- we should be back with uh, the quarterfinal wrap up and then preview of the semi-finals. That, but that will be some point uh, next week. But thanks for listening and keep posted for the next show. Thank you and goodbye. Podcast Network.